everyone. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Patrick Rao, Director of Strategy and Research for Natural Gas Intelligence. And I'd like to take a few minutes here to share our takeaways from second quarter 2020 North American Earnings Conference calls as they relate to the shale industry. This call is in conjunction with the general overall takeaways podcast we have available on this platform and also sits alongside the separate 2020 takeaway calls we have for both LNG and Mexico. So let me dive right in and note that controlling costs in the shale patch is in overdrive right now. Roughly 20% of the reporting companies said that they are, quote, laser-focused, unquote, on cutting costs. Now, maybe it's because I watch a lot of R-rated movies, but normally having a laser focus on you is a bad thing, but I digress. Commodity companies are supposed to be focused on cutting costs because they are price takers. So while being laser-focused may be a hackneyed cliche, it is good to see this focus, especially amid COVID-related uncertainty and given the growing demand from investors for energy companies to earn positive returns on invested capital. Unfortunately, the need to lower costs has led to some massive headcount reductions, and for E&P companies, a not-so-small part of their cost declines have come from loyal oil field service pricing. On the bright side, many producers in particular noted they've been able to use COVID downtime to try new technologies, and this has contributed to some efficiency gains. I thought that Helmer and Payne had a really nice slide in their second quarter investor relations presentation that shows annual average lateral length of horizontal wells drilled in the United States. And while those have increased from about 6,000 feet on average in 2016 to 9,000 feet last year, that annual increase will likely slow in subsequent years. Similarly, the benefits of adding prop in is leading to declining marginal returns. In fact, both Halliburton and Liberty Oil Field Services indicated the intensity of frack jobs either has or will soon plateau. The next wave to drive cost lower very well may be via automation and digital technologies, and these were highly discussed during second quarter calls. In fact, one analyst noted the big three oil field service companies are in a digital arms race. Automation and digital helps lower costs in several ways, in our view. One, fewer employees are required to be on site. Two, they lower the variability of results, thus reducing drilling times. And three, they can lead to more production. In fact, Halliburton noted they are seeing 10% to 25% more production from wells completed via automated fracks. And companies noted there is still plenty of room to add this automation and digital technology to drilling rigs and frack spreads going forward, so there's some more room here to improve. Other technologies that could help drive costs lower are e-fracks and simulfracks, and these are topics we have written about in Shale Daily in the recent past. Oil field service costs are likely to move higher at some point, even though future U.S. oil and gas production growth is likely to be subdued in the future, as we discussed during the main second quarter takeaways podcast, which again is available on this platform. However, based on company comments, we estimate the median amount of recent production cost savings are sustainable going forward is about 50%. So that will help producers either generate additional cash flow or to be able to drill and complete more wells with the same CapEx budget going forward. Okay, now let me give a quick roundup of the various key North American unconventional plays, or at least comments from them from the quarter. And we are a natural gas focused organization, so let's start with the gassy areas, and that's the Appalachia and Haynesville. Appalachia dry gas producers have been the lone bright spot on Wall Street among North American energy names so far this year, as that sector is up 11% for the year versus a more than 50% decline for the rest of the industry. 
Uh, there are only two publicly traded Hansville Pure Plays, and those are down 21% for the year. But still, that's better than the sector overall. Activity-wise, Appalachia rigs fell from 49 on February 28th to 21 on August 14th, down 37%. And Hainesville rigs went from 42 to 32 during that time, down 25%. And again, these declines are much better than that for the overall industry. We believe that several things are lining up that could help support Appalachia basis differentials in the quarters ahead. And these were all discussed during the various calls. One is that current excess capacity from the uh, Appalachia is about 3 to 4 BZF a day. And Equitrans Midstream believes its Mountain Valley pipeline will still be in service during the first quarter of 2021, especially after the fable receiving that DAPL pipeline in the uh, Bakken it received. And I'll discuss that in a little bit more in a moment. The MVP pipeline will add 2 BCF a day of additional capacity, and that's expandable by another half BZ a day at some point down the line. Many of the uh, major Appalachia producers are planning for maintenance capex in 2021 and beyond, so that right there greatly reduces the risk of blowing past that excess basis takeaway capacity and crushing basis differentials again in the region. Another question to consider is just how close is the Appalachia to depleting its core assets? EQT noted that the amount of inventory necessary to hold current Appalachia production flat is going to be a headwind for many of its peers. And range resources opine that declining recoveries per foot in most shale basins is a sign of core exhaustion. Interesting, too, is that several operators have begun testing the Upper Devonian in recent months, even though those EURs, excuse me, are about 70% less than those in the Marcellus. So we asked the question, might that be an indication that Appalachian producers are looking towards the next tier of acreage to help replace declining production or an exhausting core of the Appalachia? We will certainly see, and we're interested in their commentary in the quarters ahead. Just one last quick thing here to mention is that uh, the Southwestern uh, Montage Resources merger, which was announced early in the month, this should help to bring some additional operating synergies to that combined entity, which for them will be a good thing. Uh, and I discuss industry consolidating more in detail during our main second quarter takeaway call, so we certainly encourage you to listen to that. Shifting over to the Permian, where the rig count has fallen from 411 on February 28th to 117 on August 14th, and where the frac spread count has created to just 30 from 140 over the same time period. Now, even the most ambitious Permian producers are showing constraint these days, with ExxonMobil cutting its rig count from 60 to 30, and with plans to cut in a half again before the end of the year. Chevron said their permian production would actually fall by 6 to 7% next year if it doesn't change its current activity level. And it hasn't given guidance for next year yet, but that's the pace it's on right now. This will definitely push out Chevron's goal, however, of reaching its 1 million barrels per day mark of production in the Permian by 2024. In addition, we note that Pioneer Resources has lowered its long-term growth rate in the Permian from 15% per year to 5% per year. But perhaps the biggest indicator of the sign of the times in the Permian right now is that Occidental Petroleum has just one rig working in their Permian resource play right now. This after its massive $55 billion acquisition of Anadarko Petroleum. And that's a pretty startling figure indeed. Overall, Plains All-America Pipeline expects that Permian production to exit the year at about 4.1 million barrels per day. And that will be down from a peak of 4.9 million barrels per day in early March. Still, this remains one of the lowest break-even areas of the United States, and drilling and completion activity is more likely to return here before it does in other oily areas of the country. 
On the downside, much of the New Mexico portion of the Delaware is on federal lands, and a Biden victory could impact the ability to drill on that going forward. And again, we speak more to that in our main takeaways podcast, which we'd encourage you to download. Turning to the Bakken, where the rig count is now just 11, down 79% since February the 28th. The main headline there, of course, is uh, what's going to happen with the Dakota Access Pipeline, which is an energy transfer crude oil pipeline out of the basin, which was ordered to cease operations earlier this summer by a lower court. ET announced on its earnings call that an appellate court ruling has stayed that order, but that may not be the final action in this matter. Many in the industry are looking at DAPL to see whether it actually sets a national precedent on pipelines. So we'll continue to focus on that in the pages of our Shale Daily publication in the days and weeks ahead. Operators noted there is plenty of rail takeaway capacity out of the Bakken, however. So if DAPL were to shut down, rail would likely become the marginal barrel and could add anywhere from $1 to $3 per barrel to the basis differential out of the WTI, from WTI, I should say. And this may not be ideal, but it's certainly not the end of the world either. One other thing for you gas fans out there is that the need for gas takeaway from the region does appear to be becoming more of a concern. One Oak noted that the gas to oil ratio in the Bakken has increased from 1.46 in 2016 to 2.25 in 2020. Flaring is currently 11%, but North Dakota state mandates continue to come down in this regard. You've got the potential for Ox Sable, which is at the end of the Alliance pipeline, to expand its capacity, so that would drive a need for more feed gas. We note that the Montney is very hot right now, judging by two major uh, M&A transactions that have occurred there in the last month. So any significant increase in production there could conceivably crowd out some space on Alliance and northern border. And one potential solution that is being discussed is to reverse the Bison pipeline. But several others noted that a new gas pipeline out of the area may be required at some point, so we will definitely consider to track that. The DJ Basin, here's an area where there is some good news right now, despite the fact that the rig count there has fallen from 20 to just four. But things are looking up. Colorado Governor Jared Polis recently announced that he won't introduce any new anti-oil and gas voter initiatives through the year 2022, and overall the area doesn't have much federal acreage, so the risk of a fracking ban from the federal government is low. And how ironic is it that there is now relatively less political risk in Colorado than the Delaware Basin? Interesting question indeed. Takeaway capacity from the DJ continues to improve as well. Natural gas line pressures in the basin are lower, thanks in larger part to lower production, but also to DCP midstream having added some more capacity, processing capacity, I should say, and more of that's even coming soon. Furthermore, the 600 MMCF a day Shine Connector project started last quarter, and the basin has recently added some NGA takeaway capacity as well. So definitely several things moving up and looking better for the DJ basin. The last major area to discuss is the Eagleford. That's actually seen the biggest decline in the rig count over the major North American shale plays since the end of February, falling from 68 rigs to just 11, or down 89%. The issue, and I have issue in quotes here with the Eagleford, is that most operators here own properties somewhere else, and they like to use free cash flow from the Eagleford to help fund those other areas. So if companies are relying on the Eagle Ferd as a form of de facto financing, especially given the difficulties of obtaining external financing in this environment, then they won't necessarily want to drain production here in a bad commodity price tape. 
Several operators noted they are done with their Eagle Ford program this year, so we don't expect too much more activity out of this part of the country for the rest of 2020. That's going to do it for a quarterly earnings call wrap-up of the shale basins. As a reminder, we have separate podcasts covering the general North American energy sector, LNG, and Mexico on our website. If you subscribe to Shale Daily, we thank you. If you don't, and you'd like more information on that or any of our various services, please go to www.naturalgasintel.com backslash podcast. On behalf of everyone at Natural Gas Intelligence, I'd like to thank you for your time today and wish you all the best. Until next time, take care. 